0: Great efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth & Friends. Here in Episode 70, we're joined by Michelle Buffington. She's a Vehicle Program Specialist at the California Air Resources Board, where we talk about the Modesto, California Lake Carb Project, how her upbringing led to her passion for the work she does today, but also how there is a great opportunity for trucking to impact the environment. She explains how carb works using a peanut butter and jelly sandwich analogy, and share some things she learned about trucking that surprised her. She closes the interview, giving the industry some suggestions on how to move to zero emissions. Today we have joining us, Michelle Buffington. She's a vehicle program specialist at the California Air Resources Board. It's a real pleasure to have you on today. Um, I'm really interested to talk to you, Michelle.
1: It's great to be here. Thanks, Mike.
0: I'm really interested in learning more about CARB and. You know, I, I think for a lot of of us, it, you know, probably you know my audience here and this, and then just uh, maybe the trucking industry in general, we we think we know carb, but maybe like a lot of things, we we know less than than maybe we think we do. So, uh, I'm looking forward to just um you know using this time together to to kind of uh, uh, learn more myself and and maybe some others along the way. Do you remember how we met and, and we first met and become friends?
1: I I do. Um, It actually ties to the the run on less campaign. Um, So I believe the first time we met was over the phone and you were getting ready to launch the first drive on less campaign. And you had called us because you um, because Carb had invested in some of the fleets that were a part of it. And that year had been a really big year for Carb's demonstration and pilot projects. We had launched like the single largest competitive solicitation in the history of our agency, 205 million dollars to support an array of zero and near zero emission freight facility projects across the state. And we had applications covering everything from medium duty delivery trucks all the way up to a first of its kind battery electric locomotive. And the key component for us in these investments was really thinking about, in addition to driving technology and advancement and deployment, was really the replicability of the projects and enhancing how we share lessons learned. And at that point, NACAFE and the Run on Less campaign had taken it a step further and worked with some of our fleets to share their perspectives on owning and operating the vehicles.
0: We were just together at Modesto, um, you know, the, for a zero emission or near zero emission, there's a big acronym. You guys always have acronyms, um, for things, uh, but we were there celebrating Frito-Lay and, and having a whole bunch of electric and and near zero natural gas trucks and so forth. And you and I were together and we, we ended up, um, you know, uh, asking a lot of questions of each other and, and talking through things, but what, what was special about that day for you?
1: Yeah, you know, you're, it's totally true. The acronym for that particular group of projects is just a beast, and it was the Zero and Near Zero Emission Freight Facilities, or ZANZEF. Um, I can't say that that we were all really excited with how the acronym came out, but it certainly stuck, and people, people remember it. Um, but that event was incredibly exciting. I mean, for me, every time I see equ- vehicles or equipment that we've deployed in our projects, the, and this pun is intended it is electrifying right like it i just get goosebumps um and that particular project uh, the modesto Frito-Lay project is really a showpiece of the carbs of carbs demonstration and pilot efforts up uh, to me the energy all the way from the staff who organized the event to the people whose passion kept the forward momentum on that project going to the ceo of pepsico being there i mean you could really tell they were all in on the successful implementation of it And quite frankly, Modesto, that was my first opportunity to see the Tesla semi on the ground, so that was a really big deal for me. But that project also, you know, through that project, Frito-Lay deployed six Peterbilt 220s, three BYD yard trucks, 12 crown forklifts, and 34 of the Volvo VNL low-knock CNG tractors, not to mention the renewable natural gas station that went with it, the one megawatt solar carport with energy storage, and the infrastructure to support all of the electrified vehicles. I'm happy to report now that all 15 Tesla trucks are on site and delivering chips and dips throughout the region. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl um, with all those zero emission deliveries. So, you know, there were a lot of reasons to celebrate that day, and I really can't wait to see how the project wraps up and and to watch Frito-Lay continue to transform their fleet. I think we have some upcoming projects with them to continue the momentum here.
0: Yeah, you know, I, we did, we did uh, one of the... Uh, the, a Cummins-powered Peterbilt box truck was in run on less electric in 2021. So, my first trip to Modesto uh, was, I think, for the filming of that, which would have been in June of 2021. And um, yeah, it's I, I think what, what struck me that day is is the 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 very realness of a depot of the future of you know of, of a of a place in the future. I think that day they announced that they're running 91 um, percent less. Greenhouse gas emissions. Um, given all of that, um, all of those deployments and the solar and et cetera, et cetera, and that's that's huge. Um, and you know, we'll get to the point where those natural zero, near zero, natural gas um, tractors are either hydrogen or electric or something. And I don't want to get into that debate too much today. But mm-hmm. yeah, jumped ahead of ahead of ourselves a little bit. So tell us about you. How did you, uh, you know, where in the Midwest did you grow up? Um, we don't need to go all the way back to your birth and this, that, the other, but just like, <laughs> what are some, some key things in your career that that brought you to being so passionate about what you're doing today?
1: Sure. You know, I grew up just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I won't take you all the way back to birth, but I will say that that, that was a pretty um, influential time, right? I grew up close to a steel mill that produced gas for production. And I mean, you could see the environmental impacts everywhere around me. And my mom was a huge activist in that space. And so seeing her passion for clean air really helped drive my interest in air quality. Um, but the Midwest, when I was growing up, wasn't necessarily the most progressive. There's a lot of progress being made now and a whole lot of positive, positive movement. But back then, it, was, it wasn't it was quite quite we weren't quite doing that yet so I moved to California in 2001 because it's clear you know it was clear then and it's clear now that that they were leaders in the space and I felt like there would be opportunities to make an impact so at the time the you know the California Air Resources Board was already the premier agency leading the way right in protecting public health by reducing pollutants like NOx and particulate matter and toxics but in 2006, uh, California's then Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger signed AB 32, which really set the stage for California and for CARB to begin to address climate change by reducing the state's greenhouse gas emissions through regulation and market mechanisms. And that's where I start when I started my work, and I began my career here at CARB in 2007, working on the Low Carbon Fuel Standard. And from 2007 to today, that regulation has grown and changed quite a bit. But what I learned there and through the development of that. With market-based regulation. I ended up getting the experience of working with industry on solving complex issues, learning how government operated and worked, and just how much of the economy and emissions are tied to goods movement. So, you know, I gravitate to the work we do on goods movement and zero emission trucks for a couple of reasons. You know, my mom and the air quality thing, but also, you know, my dad was a tool and die guy for General Motors when I was growing up. And my grandpa was a was a big, big rig mechanic. So my work passion reflects my youth there. But primarily, and really what's driving me these days is that there's so much space to have an impact here on the environment and communities and the quality of life on operators. I mean, from what you're ob- from you, your observations out in the field with the drivers, I think you're hearing what we're hearing, that these trucks are so much quieter, there's less vibration, they're easier to drive they require less maintenance and you at the end of your shift you don't end up smelling like diesel. So to me I feel it's it's I, this is an opportunity and a space to really make a difference.
0: So help me understand a little bit and 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 others around carb. So you fund projects but you also regulate. How does that work?
1: Sometimes I think about it like peanut butter and jelly. You need both to make a good sandwich, right? Um You know, we have this opportunity, California, you know, we're the fourth largest economy in the world. Um, We have, and that provides us some opportunity to make investments and really drive innovation in multiple ways. And so, you know, when you're thinking about the complex issues that we have here in the state with, you know, our poor air quality, our impact um, on the globe globally with our GHG emissions, we really need to take and access all the tools in our toolbox. And that comes through both voluntary and regulatory actions. And so the agency itself is in a position where we get to, where we have groups that work on investments like you were pointing out. And those range from everything from demonstration phase projects all the way up through commercial deployments beyond that into providing financing solutions for technologies that are very commercially, commercially advanced and on their way, um, but that can't solve the problem. It won't solve the problem alone. So part of what we need to do here is also implement regulations that help drive and continue to to support the deployment of the technologies. And that ranges all the way from light duty to heavy duty. You know, the Air Resources Board is primarily focused on mobile source control. Um, We do have some stationary work in place. We work closely with our air district partners to help regulate air quality and also invest in air quality in the state.
0: Very good, and you know, I think something that that we a lot of us miss that maybe work you know a lot outside of California is how serious the air quality problem was, and how um, urgent. Uh, you know, we all talk now a little bit of urgent about uh, you know uh, climate in general um, for the whole planet, but from an air quality perspective, the situation was really dire a number of years ago or a number of decades ago, right? I mean, I remember Vin Scully saying once. Oh, my goodness. There's mountains. I've been sitting in this booth announcing, uh, you know, Dodgers baseball games for 50 or 60 years. And and now I can I can finally see the mountains. So, uh, you know, never having lived in California, visited. But, um, you know, I don't know. Let's just take a minute. Walk, walk us back through um, sort of, you know, why this became urgent. The situation became urgent a lot earlier than other places. Um, does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. And you know, what's funny is I've only been at the air resources board for 15 years. Um, and there are still people within the agency who can recall those days of being surprised when they could see the mountains and watching the transition happen from the period of time where you couldn't see them to, to now where you uh, you can see them pretty regularly down in, in Southern California. Um, you know, I think what's California as a state has a lot of sprawl. Um, and, people here love their cars and so i think a lot of a lot of why this mo- momentum happened here first and why it was such a problem here for why air quality was became such an important conversation to be had here is in, in part because of the car culture that we have here but also we have major ports uh on the west coast located here in the state and that's a lot of goods movement that, that happens not just to deliver goods here in california but to deliver goods throughout the US. I mean, I think it's somewhere around 70% of the goods that come into the United States are coming in through those two ports down South. And so th- we've seen a lot of progress and the Air Resources Board has been involved through in a lot of ways, you know, from regulating gasoline from it to become unleaded gasoline, all the way up through catalytic converters to putting in standards for NOx, uh, on heavy-duty engines, those all have had drastic and and positive impacts on the air quality here. And you know, we also, as a state, are looking and trying to figure out ways to make sure that this transition is happening equitably, right? And so there was there's been a a, a lot of inequity throughout the state in the early days. And so now we have this opportunity, and we're using it to to really make a difference and improve the air quality in places where you know, goods movement is happening and that tends to be in community, priority populations and communities that are more susceptible to, and have higher exposure to air pollution.
0: We've done a little more work in California in the last few years. I've been there more often and it is interesting how many people will, will are, um, are excited to kind of finish the job, you know, because they've seen the improvements. They've seen that, you know, the, these um, uh, lower emitting vehicles, more electric cars trucks and those kinds of things um really have an impact on 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 uh, air quality and air quality and ghg and you know it all kind of just fits together right um so forth switching gears a little bit um you know one of the reasons i always like talking to you is that you do ask a lot of questions and you know there are people though that ask a lot of questions and they ask a question to ask another question and another question they really don't listen to the answers well i find you you know, really interested in, you know, in trucking. And when I, you know, when I start telling you about drivers and fleets and this happened and that happened, and there's these parts of trucking where zero emissions and electric trucks are really hard because of, of whatever things like, you know, recently, I think we were talking about how many of the uh truck owners don't own the depot where we're going to have to put charging. So how does that work when there's a, you know, an investment that's um for the long-term you know, as you think about the work you've been doing in trucking, what are some interesting things about freight or trucks that you've learned um in doing this work that that might have been a surprise to you as you as you look back and and think about moving forward?
1: You know, the very first thing that that always struck me is how many different names there are for yard trucks. It takes me for, it took me forever to understand that when somebody was talking about a yard goat, they were also talking about a yard truck. They were also talking about a, hustler, a yard hostler. So that was one thing that was really surprising to me. We
0: settled, by the way, we settled on terminal tractors. So let's try to use that as much as possible. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. You know, I also work in the ag space. And so when I talk about tractors, I 100% all of the time mean an ag tractor that's going out into a field. I never mean a tractor like a truck truck factor but <laughs> that's just I guess the reality of, of the job that we're in um but honestly to me like uh the the thing that was most surprising to me or one of the things that was most surprising to me about freight and trucks is just the amount of logistics that go into goods movement um really it's been like the last five, maybe, maybe the last decade that I've really been thinking about from the moment you hit purchase online to the moment you rip open that box um, when it's been delivered, like how much goes into that? It's mind blowing to me. And, you know, my work has really given me the opportunity to understand that complexity and really caused me to start thinking down to the drivers who make so much of this happen. Um, And that's actually another reason why I really enjoy the conversations with you because I think I think you know through we do have a lot of public process here at the through here at CARB, and I would argue that it's maybe some of the some of the most robust public process that happens here at the state with folks coming in being able to provide feedback on our regulations, on our incentive programs, on the directions that we're going with policy. But sometimes it's really hard to reach and talk to specific individuals who are impacted and so talking with you brings me it brings a connection to those drivers who are making this happen and particularly in the goods movement space where it's not necessarily a large fleet but an independent owner operator situation and so to me like it's just it it was it's surprising but also it's been enlightening to understand who's impacted and how they're impacted and understanding the complexities just like you were pointing out about you know not not always being the landowners where the infrastructure is going to go in we have some really you know you can some may call them hurdles or um barriers but to me they're opportunities right we have this huge opportunity to figure out um a, a system in which right. it owner operators will be able to have the pleasure to write to operate a zero emission truck um in a in a place where they're now operating third or fourth hand me downs of diesel trucks i don't know what the quite the term is and it's probably not hand me downs but that's that's how it w- looks in my head
0: we we went a long time um trying to find like uh any solution um different from from diesel trucks and uh you know one of the things i, I wanted to ask you about is We do now have, um, you know, sometimes I say a plethora of solutions out there. We've, um, you know, we figured out how to, you know, get natural gas trucks that can use renewable natural gas and in places where we can, you know, burn that methane instead of uh, just let it go out in the atmosphere from, you know, livestock um, manure to, um, you know, to just landfills um, and so forth to uh, hybrids in some marketplaces, to early battery electric trucks. We're talking about burning hydrogen in an engine, you know, to be, you know, which which will be more, you know, g- environmentally better than than petroleum diesel. But how are you either personally or, or CARB thinking about uh, just how many of these solutions? So you just talked about how the industry is kind of complex. And now we've got a complex group of solutions um, this is uh, this is really challenging for for fleets and manufacturers to to really put the technology for the individual use cases that make sense. Uh, how do you view that?
1: Anything that is a combustion fuel is going to have tailpipe emissions, and they're going to have immediate impacts on the communities surrounding them. So you're seeing through our investments and through our regulations really the shift towards zero emission fuels, whether that be bat- battery electric and electricity as a fuel. Or hydrogen um, as as the fuel and through fuel cell electric vehicles, because really zero tailpipe emissions and zero emission fuels is the complete package. You have a vehicle that when it's traveling through a priority population, releasing no emissions from the tailpipes. Um, And so you know, from from the again from the regulatory, you're you're seeing it in how we develop our regulations and how we're investing our dollars that that while there are a whole lot of options and maybe some some solutions that that fleets are going to explore interim to this, that the end goal, you know, we're really working towards sending that market signal that the end goal here for the state is zero emission.
0: Yeah, you know, I think and I I think that uh, that focus on zero because I, I run into places where they're like, well, wait a minute, why why go all the way? You know, why, isn't this good enough? But I think what we're going to see in the next few years is how powerful zero is. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're getting to some levels on NOx and PM and and GHG where it's kind of hard to even measure. So, but we have to, if we're going to comply, right? So um, we don't have that with zero, you know, zero emission battery electric trucks, they don't have emission testing of their engines to do. They don't have, you know, other sort of, um, you know, testing and qualification and stuff. So I actually think that we're, we're over, we're underestimating that value even in like the truck price um where i think we're going to find that building these electric trucks um have a lot of overhead and indirect costs and and just other parts of doing business that just does not apply to a zero emission truck and we're going to we're going to see those benefits and that's going to be you know a big aha for the industry as we move forward we'll see if i'm right hey michelle we always run out of time quickly um uh as we close out i mean you know, we all talk a lot about about this work, but what are some things that we should do? I mean, so what, what's your advice for like actions um, that that um, that people out you know really doing this work where they operate trucks or build build parts for trucks or build the trucks themselves or maybe they regulate them or finance them. but what what is your suggestion given sort of all that we've talked about and all that you've learned that you think people should do?
1: you know, what first pops into my head is find a ride and drive, bring your product. If you're an OEM, get your products there. If you're an operator, get your bodies there so that you can test drive the vehicles. Because honestly, I think seeing is believing in this case. You can talk about total cost of ownership. You can talk about um, how great these trucks are, but until you sit behind the wheel of a truck and feel the difference in how it drives how it sounds, you you just, it's, I think it's an it's incredible. And I think it would be really eye-opening. I mean, the second is, you know, find a buddy that's done this before and get their insights and their experience because it's it's very different than diesel operation in that sense. And then there's and it brings a lot of benefits. I think that beyond the values that these trucks bring to air quality and greenhouse gas reductions, it is just a from to me, a better experience right and so you know to that point carb will hopefully be host we hosted last year and hopefully we'll be able to host again this year um with our partners at cal Start, a ride a ride and drive event here in california but they are around the nation and there are opportunities so when we have ours we will happily invite you and, and your listeners um and hopefully you'll be able to find places to go for California fleets specifically, though, I would say, like, take a look at the upcoming regulations and start planning if you haven't already, because right now there are some great incentive opportunities here in the state, not and actually not just state incentives, but also federal incentives for trucks. Um, and it's a great way to launch your plans. And you also, just as a side note, and everybody, everybody hears this, I think, whenever they're, when they begin to think about electrification of their fleets you can never start the conversation with your utilities soon enough when it comes to infrastructure needs so if you if you're starting your plan or you've got a plan go talk to your utility
0: just recently i had a fleet say the exact same thing when i asked them you know what should people do and they were they said get out and experience the trucks get out and experience the charging um and so that uh you know that um ride and drives or just touching and feeling and understanding Uh, go so far. So um, thanks so much for joining me, Michelle. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, and uh, let's meet up somewhere soon.
1: I hope so. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Freight Efficiency with NACVs Mike Roth and Friends.